Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation and is dedicated to transforming the healthcare experience so that every person can receive and deliver the best care. We invite you to learn more by visiting healthcareexperience.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Healthcare Experience Matters. My name is Casey Callanan. I am the host of the Healthcare Experience Matters podcast, and I want to welcome Deborah J. Bowen to the program today. Deborah is president and CEO of the American College of Healthcare Executives. That's an international society with more than 48,000 healthcare executives as members. ACHE members lead hospitals, healthcare systems, and other healthcare organizations. With comprehensive programs in credentialing, education, career counseling, publications, and research, ACHE works towards its vision of being the preeminent professional society for leaders dedicated to improving health. Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters, Deborah, and thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Casey. If you could just lead this discussion off for us by telling us a little bit about your professional background and how long you've been with the ACHE. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be with you and your listeners. Uh, I'm a big fan of podcasts, and I think the more we can reach people, the better we are serving everyone. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. Let me start uh, with the last question first. I've been at ACHE uh, an eternity. Uh, not since it was founded in 1933, uh, but about a long time. In fact, I'm celebrating actually this uh, week my 26th year, which probably to some of you listening to this says, how can someone stay at an organization 26 years? I did leave for a brief stint and went to work for the Society of Actuaries. I have a lot of respect for actuaries. They do um, magical things with numbers, and that's a good thing. But I really started my career as a social worker. I started counseling heroin addicts. Uh, and if you know anything about heroin addicts, and I bet some of your listeners uh, listening today probably do, uh, the rate of recidivism is very, very high. So people don't often get better. They're going back into uh, their lifestyles and their support systems that are often non-existent. So I got very interested after that experience about uh, with policy, healthcare policy. You know, what? How do you make a difference in the world? How do you change the systems around you so that you can help people? have more success with their health. Um, And that work actually led me to a Department of Health and Social Services in Wisconsin. So I worked on a lot of uh, grant money, um, funding different entities for alcohol and other drug abuse. That led me to a physician that I met who was head of the medical society at the time. And that introduced me to the association world. And when I got interested in the association world, uh, obviously I really stayed in that lane almost all of my uh, adult career life. Um, And a lot of the reason for that is, you know, associations are powerful influencers. You know, we have this enormous um, reach in terms of the members we serve and the avenues we can do that. Uh, and of course, the ability to influence leaders is is really, really can have a ripple effect. Um, you know, when I was uh, counseling uh, heroin addicts, you know, you you get this 
idea of helping one person at a time. You know, when when you can change the mind of a leader, you can influence thousands. Um, so that's really rewarding work. Uh, and I've always enjoyed being in healthcare. It's ever changing. It's ever inspiring. It's ever challenging. And all those things, I think, make healthcare people probably change junkies. Deborah, it's clear you have a lot of accomplishments. That is really noble work and it speaks for itself. But I want to ask about something that might not show up on your resume or your CV. So can you tell us something about yourself that you might not find on the resume? Do you want something um, serious or something not so serious? How about if you have both? I'd be interested in hearing both. Well, uh, I did have, everybody's got their 15 minutes of fame. Mine was uh, not now anyone growing up in Chicago, if they're old enough, would remember the show. It's Bozo Circus. Uh, And, you know, when when, uh, I was a bluebird, I went to Bozo Circus and I got chosen to play the bucket game, which was a very, very big deal in those days. And I got to bucket number four. Uh, I can even remember some of the things I won at the time. I got a giant Tootsie Roll. I got pantyhose for my mom. Uh, I got, uh, you know, all kinds of little gifts. So, but I was like a rock star in the neighborhood. So that was for 15 minutes one day, and then it was all over. But something that perhaps is a little more serious and, and might be interesting for some of your listeners today yeah, I never aspired to be a CEO. Uh, I never thought I would be a CEO. I never, I never really set that as my career ambition. I was always more interested in influence. Uh, and for those who are listening today, you know, I think that's a really important lesson that it's not necessarily the role you play. You can have influence in a lot of different ways in organizations. And I think that's exciting about being a leader, whether you have the title or not, everybody has an opportunity to improve things and to make things better. I have to comment on your Bozo story because I moved to Chicago at a very young age, actually, to the Chicagoland area. But before we moved to Chicago, we lived in Rhode Island and they had a regional Bozo. I'm not kidding you. It was like a regional bozo that would only air in the Providence area. And I went on the bozo show in Providence and I was selected for bozo buckets too in kindergarten. You have got kidding. to be kidding now. Is that a strange coincidence? That is fun. I know it that, is cool. That is totally fun. Yeah. And then I came to Chicago and saw, you know, the real bozo, which was on WGN. And yeah, it was impressive to me. That's just a funny coincidence. I had to mention it. You know, the, the I, I think it's great. The kids today have a, have a lot of avenues. So, you know, hopefully everybody's got a, a bozo in their life now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bozo is great. For those listening who remember. Yes, that's right. So what do you love to do outside of work? What kind of passions? Maybe they are connected to to your career. What what like what are your, some of your passions? Well, personally, uh, I always do like to mentor people. I'm I'm active in uh, the Association of Associations, which has a mentoring program in diversity uh, and inclusion. So I'm, I'm I'm active in that. But really, in my spare time, um, I live in the city. I work in the city. I like to get out of the city. I like nature. I like birds. I like trees. Uh, You know, sometimes you just need to breathe and you need to have a different perspective and you need a little quiet. 
which I think is relevant uh, to obviously a lot of what we're talking about in wellness uh, and being able to disconnect and take things down a notch. So I do love nature. I have a house um, uh, up in Wisconsin. Um, I also love design. I love Art Deco things. I love, uh, I've designed my own jewelry. Um, I've, I've done a lot of more of the creative things. I come from a long uh, history of, of, of piano players, but I do not play the piano. Well, that is cool. We like to know that our guests are well-rounded. I think that's important. Now I want to take the conversation back to the American College of Healthcare Executives. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about how ACHE works towards its vision of being the preeminent professional society for leaders that are dedicated to improving health? Sure. I think this is a commitment that ACHE has long held. It is really, truly a testament. I think the North Star And it really speaks to this whole idea uh, of making sure that leaders have the opportunities to make uh, make a difference, which I think many, many leaders in in our communities do. You know, leadership and healthcare leadership specifically is a business, but it's a business with a calling. Uh, So the opportunity to really leverage that in multiple ways is really important to us. And we do that in a a couple of different ways. Um, You know, if you were to look at our strategic plan, you would see uh, that we play several roles in the field. One is being uh, a catalyst. And of course, that's all about what do you want to stand for in terms of healthcare leadership excellence? And for us, that means really making sure that people understand how to make healthcare safe. Uh, obviously, I think the pandemic has highlighted that even more for us. And I think the issue of equity, we've, we've actually had a longstanding commitment to diversity and inclusion. And I think the pandemic has really heightened for all of us and amplified the importance of addressing disparities, closing the gaps, making sure that in our thinking and in our actions, we are really leading with the lens of equity in all things. So, so that's one entity. The other part we play is connector. This is a relationship business. Uh, people, people run healthcare. Uh, healthcare serves people. So we have a network of chapters who are available to provide education and other kinds of services to our members. So ACHE is both a national network and a local network. So I think that's important. And we're also working with a number of other associations, a lot of clinical associations, to really try and work on leadership throughout the continuum of care. So organizations like the anesthesiologists or the physical therapists or uh, physicians assistants uh, are, are some of those kinds of partners. And then at the end of the day, you know, people trust us to be their partner throughout their career. We know that people tend to stay with ACHE once they find us throughout their career. So oftentimes we are the first call that they make when they lose their jobs. Oftentimes we're the first call they make when they want to celebrate that they just got their board certification and FACHE uh, or to help solve problems, which is obviously what our education is all about. So, you know, I, I think in order to be a good leader and a good partner in healthcare nowadays, it really requires all of those dimensions, what you stand for, who you connect with, and what you're learning along the way. And and those are things that have been tried and true for us from the beginning. And for those that listen to this podcast, they will know that 
This podcast is all about starting conversations that can better equip people to both receive and deliver the best healthcare experience. I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on how healthcare executives can improve the healthcare experience for patients. Well, certainly, Casey, you know a lot about patient experience. After all, that's what you probably ask a lot of your uh, guests about. But for me, I mean, certainly there's a lot of great examples out there, but I think when you boil it down, it really gets down to a couple of things, a couple of themes about why organizations uh, are successful and what it takes to be a leader in this area. First of all, it's a patient's first mentality, right? I think if nothing else, the humanity of who we are and how we lead has never been more prominent than in the last 18 months. So having not only the compassion to do the work and understand what people are going through, but also the vision and the structure uh, to really put some things into action. So I do believe it starts at the top and cascading that, making sure actions meet intent is very, very important. Uh, I think a lot of other great best practices that leaders uh, really take away are listening and learning, things like rounding. You know, what, what patients need today may not be what they need tomorrow. So that notion of really active listening I'm sure you've heard it said, there's a reason why we have two ears and one mouth. Uh, so again, really making sure that we're listening well and following up with uh, our patients and workforce and other stakeholders to make sure we're following through in the right way. I think a lot of other organizations have really um, done well in affecting good strategies, prioritizing patient care, really identifying what populations they're going uh, for. Maybe it's the chronic care people, in which case they're activating case managers, maybe it's uh, mental health, in which case they're activating more apps so that people have more mobilized access. So when they're, um, you know, experiencing anxiety or feeling something uh, uncomfortable, they've got access to a provider. So again, I think all of these things that, that make healthcare more mobilized, more focused, um, obviously evaluating how we're doing using data-driven results. I think those are all things that, that leaders do. I also think really the great leaders also think about not only the people they're serving, but the people who are not served, right? I think that's what the disparities conversation has really shown us is that while there are people who are coming through the doors of perhaps our hospital systems or clinics or urgent care or even our iPhones, there's a lot of people who aren't. And how do we reach those people uh, in ways that they will resonate? So you've got systems who are activating community partnerships and working with even local barbers um, to try and really understand how to get to those people who may not be coming through the front doors that perhaps need the care. So I think there there's lots of great innovations and lots of great thinking going on right now. Uh, but again, I think leaders play a powerful role, an important role, and absolutely uh, can make a difference in patient care when, when really actions meet intent. It's no secret you get to work with some of the most influential healthcare leaders. What are some themes that you've picked up on among priorities in healthcare today? Well, I think 
every conversation that I have recently is about workforce. Um, and it's not to say that financial challenges aren't important. You might know, um, but for the benefit of your listeners, uh, we do a survey with CEOs that basically says what keeps you up at night. Um, and for over a decade, well over a decade, everybody has said financial challenges. And, and that's still true. Uh, the last time we did the survey, which was 2019, that was still true. I think it's still true today. You know, you've, you've heard no margin, no mission. You've got to keep the doors open in order to do the job you can. But that being said, this idea of workforce, the cost of supplies, the cost of travelers to, to really try and shore up, whether it's nursing capacity or some other kind of clinical capacity, uh, that's really becoming more prominent, as is obviously the state of burnout and, and the importance of resilience, this whole notion of really making sure while we're taking care of patients, we're taking care of our workforce, really making sure that whether that's quiet spaces or apps or time off or trying to do more flex timing or providing more services so that their children or other demands are met, I think is, is really, really important. But uh, more and more, I think everybody's really talking about the importance and really the challenges we're facing in workforce. And now I want to talk a little bit about the pandemic response as that's most likely still top of mind on a lot of listeners to our podcast. First of all, what are some of the most important lessons you're hearing from healthcare executives in regards to the challenges they've faced in the last 18 months or so of the pandemic? Uh, well, lots of lessons, obviously. I mean, I, I think healthcare had to operate in a way that they've never had to experience before. I mean, obviously various communities have always had crisis, whether it's natural disasters or other kinds of things that where they've had to go into crisis. Um, but I don't know that any other uh, you know, crisis has really demonstrated itself in such a pervasive way as the pandemic. So, you know, I think when I hear leaders really reflect about what are those primary lessons learned, it's really about prioritizing safety and safety of the workforce, safety, safety for everyone, taking care of people, uh, making sure that our humanity shows up in our patient care, making sure that even though we may be masked front uh, to bottom, that, that people have a way to connect with us, uh, not only as leaders, but as caretakers. Uh, so I think that that's really, really important. We just talked about workforce. I would still say that's uh, also part of part of the priorities and lessons learned that people, how to help people be more resilient, how to put more focus on wellness, and obviously taking care of team. You can't do this work alone. So that's very, very important. The other thing is communication. You know, it's often said that in a crisis, you can't communicate enough. And I think the pandemic showed us this. Um, and I don't even mean inside the organization. I think outside the organization, I think healthcare leaders can, can be great community healers. And so making sure that we're really extending uh, our voice into the community. There's a lot of information out there. People are confused. People are scared. So really communication in every shape and form uh, and making sure there are good systems, frequent check-ins, 
follow through on feedback and that we're listening to the feedback that we hear. And of course, agility, right? Um, I mean, look at look at what happened to telehealth. You know, we went from, you know, a few hundred visits to thousands and thousands. Uh, so I think I think some of the things that we thought were moving along, but perhaps not at the pace we really desired, um, really catapulted into the center of our care delivery systems. And I and I think everyone believes that that's a big plus. It's rare that we have a podcast episode on healthcare experience matters where we don't discuss resilience. Today is going to be no different. What are some strategies for self-care or self-compassion that work for you is my the first part of this question. And then I want to know what you would recommend to a leader or staff member who just doesn't feel like they have enough time or bandwidth for self-care. Well, first of all, I think we are you know, time is our biggest competitor and it's true for everybody. So I think that is a realistic notion. But again, for my own self, you know, it's interesting before the pandemic, uh, I was traveling a lot. So my schedule wasn't often very predictable. And then all of a sudden I was home. Now I know that a lot of your listeners listening to this didn't have the luxury of doing that. Uh, But I do think uh, I committed to just taking 30 minutes out of my day to do a little exercise just because um, I knew I was going to need some kind of outlet for all the anxiety and all of the other things that you that that everybody was going through. Um, so so I do think you have to even if it's a short walk, I, you know, I don't know that it uh, matters what you do, but I do think you have to commit to just putting some structure, maybe getting a buddy, you know, who knows what different things work for different people. So I will say that that's something that I think is important. Um, you know, I, I talked about my love of nature. And again, you know, I, I did make sure that I was getting outside because, you know, it's, it's easy to get lost um, inside the organization or inside the work. So making sure uh, I was getting out and at least breathing a little bit. I think breathing is an underrelated, you know, uh, self-care technique. In uh, any time you can find an opportunity to share joy, to share laugh with someone, I think that's good. I had the opportunity um, to talk with Dr. Fauci in a fireside chat in something that we did um, during our Congress on Healthcare Leadership, and Dr. Fauci just despite his demanding schedule, runs like five miles a day. It's amazing. I mean, look at how old he is. Look at what he's, you know, what his demands are. So even though we are all busy, I think it really just requires, you know, a commitment to find what's going to work for you, even if you start slow and work up. But again, I think we owe it to ourselves. You can't help other people if you don't help yourself. I think that's really well said. I want to get some reflection now on your career and you've been with this organization um, and you've seen some change, obviously, over the years. You know, you've seen some change at the ACHE and, and over the all of healthcare in general. So I just want to know what are some of the most profound changes when you talk about what you've witnessed changing in healthcare since you started with ACHE? Well, I I don't think any of us can underestimate the influence of technology. And certainly with artificial intelligence and the promise of what we're learning there, you know, that gives me great hope 
for the future. So I, you know, I, I think I think we would I would probably have to acknowledge that technology is is the major, probably most fundamental influencer. But but that being said, I I think there are also shifts in just how people think about leadership, who they are. I mean, you know, I'm familiar with the old command and control structures where we, uh, you know, used to think that that telling people what to do was a good pathway for leadership. And I think we're all understanding now that that letting go means you may have more control. So really understanding, tuning into the work more, learning more from patients, understanding we don't have all the answers, uh, being more human, being more vulnerable, being more compassionate. I think that's a shift in leadership that is a healthy one and one that uh, I think has really served our our you know community very well. Of course, there's other things. I mean, we used to think that all the care had to happen within the hospital. Now it doesn't. Obviously, we're doing a lot of healthcare on our iPhones. So I mean, there's there's all kinds of innovations and paradigm shifts. I think what's more striking to me is the things that maybe haven't changed. I mean, look at what we just uncovered in the pandemic about disparities, even though we have known for decades that disparities existed. So I think the sluggishness of some things, we haven't really figured out how to bend the cost curve. We haven't figured out perhaps what the best ways are to activate around mental health initiatives. So while there's much to be proud of, I also think there's also much work to be done. We love to learn from mistakes on this podcast. So I'm just curious if there's any mistakes or missed opportunities that you've heard from healthcare executives over the years at your time with the ACHE that you want to share. You know, I think everybody beats themselves up about something. You know, sometimes it's a missed partnership, a missed opportunity. But I think the things that that really um, strike people most deeply are really those things that speak to, I could have responded one way and I reacted another way. You know, it, it's the way you might have given feedback or the way you might have handled a conversation that you weren't particularly proud of. Or the words you didn't say to someone who might have uh, needed a kind word. So I th- I think this you know the idea of understanding our influence and how to use that influence in a good way is probably what I think most people at the end of the day feel uh, sort of the worst about, if you will, um, and causes the most self reflection. Uh, it's more about how you show up uh, and how you use that influence than perhaps any one decision that you make. Although I did hear that Sean Connery was offered the part in Lord of the Rings and he didn't take it because he thought it was a stupid part. So, you know, that probably is a good example of a missed opportunity. But I don't really hear about things like that. I hear more about the human interaction and, and what it means to be a leader. That's a great response. Thanks for that feedback. Uh, And including the pop culture reference, which we love, Sean Connery, the late, great Sean Connery. The late, great Sean Connery. So we always talk about knowing your why and purpose. I was just curious if there's any stories, we love stories that come to mind when you talk about 
something that maybe was a reminder to you or reinforced your purpose or your why for this work that you do? I get a lot of feedback in my role, and that's a good thing. I, I, I love feedback. And uh, I we get a lot of great quotes and testimonies from people on social media. Hopefully people will check out our social media channels. Uh, you know, people, there's a lot of pride, I think, when people get the FACHE, when they think about, you know, their careers, what, you know, the people they meet, um, the opportunities they have, there's a lot of pride in that. So I get to hear a lot of those stories. But the things that touch me most, uh, I think, are really the stories of what people are going through and what that means to them and sort of the the situations that they find themselves in. Uh, So one of my board members sent to me um, and and shared with me a story about um, she happened to be in, she happens to be in Louisiana and she happens to be in a situation where she's had, seems to have had every every difficulty known to person kind. She lost power. She, you know, there are problems with shortages, all kinds of things. But in any case, she was telling me about a story where she walked into a patient's room and she had to tell this patient who was scheduled to have a surgery on a brain aneurysm the next day that her hospital could not um, do the surgery because they didn't have the right equipment and they didn't have the right, the right bed and the right uh, ability to do that in a safe way. And that patient said to her, uh, don't worry, I understand. So I think the things that strike me the most are really those human interactions and what we learn from our patients and and what it means to be a leader today and the difficult choices we have to make. And, and sometimes they're heartbreaking. As we work towards wrapping up, this has been a great discussion. I just want to know before we sign off here, if you have any you know, final thoughts for us on the healthcare experience or the patient experience or anything else you want to, any parting words you want to leave with us before we wrap up. I just hope people don't, um, your, your listeners and, and others don't um, sort of presume what we know. I think we're really good at thinking we know the solutions or trying to find solutions. You know, healthcare people are problem solvers and they love to solve problems. And oftentimes I think we jump to the solution before we fully understand the problem. So when it comes to patient experience or when it comes to understanding what we can do, yeah, I hope people think big enough and I hope people question their paradigms and really make sure uh, that they have the patient's interests at heart and that we're doing the best job we can for them every single time we encounter them. This has been an absolute pleasure of mine today. Just, I feel like we could talk a lot longer, but I'll wrap it up here for everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Deborah Bowen. Deborah is president and CEO of the American College of Healthcare Executives. And I want to thank Deborah again for her time today. Thanks, Deborah. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. To learn more, please visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.